Welcome to the West Point Church Podcast. Here you can find past and future messages. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates as soon as those sermons are posted. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a good week. Well, if you know me at all, you know that I am incredibly passionate about reaching the lost. That's something that's, that's a heartbeat of mine. And we have a guest this morning. He's kind of a guest. Uh, he's, he grew up in this church. Um, if you don't know Alex, his dad was the pastor here for 14 years. And we are very honored and privileged to have him with us today. He shares that heart for lost people, and he's going to be taking a trip this summer. And uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about that and what we're doing for our Unite Prayer Service. We're doing something a little bit different tonight. So, uh, Alex, would you come and share with us this morning? Hello, everybody. Uh, it is such a treat and a pleasure um, for me to be here this morning. It's, it's actually pretty emotional. Um, as Pastor Paul said, this is the church that I grew up in. I was here from when I was three until I was 18. Some of you I've known for a very, very long time. Some of you I'm meeting just for the first time, so welcome. Um, like Pastor Paul said, my name is Alex. Uh, this church has a very, very special place in my heart. This church um, taught me how to follow Jesus. This church taught me how to worship. This church taught me how to share the gospel, how to read the Bible, how to care for the lost. And I would not be who I am today without some of you in this room. So I just want to take a moment and say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For West Point Church, Pastor Paul and Laura, for many of you in this, in this place that took me in, took my family in, that loved us well. So thank you. Um, as many of you know, and some of you don't, uh, the Lord transitioned my family and I the summer before my senior year of high school when I was 18, and we moved to Rochester where my parents helped start Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge Center in Rochester, Minnesota. And while growing up in this church, I thought I knew what, what I was supposed to do with my life. How many of you know that the Lord sometimes changes our plans? See, I thought I was going to go to North Central University, Assemblies of God University in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was going to become a youth pastor, and uh, that was my plan. But through the transition to Rochester, Minnesota, the Lord began to transition my heart, and he began to actually challenge me to take a year off of school and not go to school right away, but to devote it to him. And at first, I just thought maybe I would work, or I would find myself, or I would travel. But soon, I began to find out very quickly that the Lord was challenging me not just to take year off for fun, but to take a year off and devote it to missions. I graduated in May of 2015, and in August of 2015, I turned 19. I left everything that I knew. I left my family, my friends. I left my culture. I left um, the language that I spoke, and I landed in a place that I've never been before with people that I've never met before and a culture that I've never understood before and a language I've never spoken before. And I arrived in the Middle East, in Amman, Jordan. And uh, in Amman, Jordan, I served on a church planting training team uh, called Live Dead. They're an Assemblies of God World Missions organization where I was a part of this, this organization to plant the church and make disciples. And we taught English, and I, I studied Arabic, and I learned how to plant the church amongst unreached people groups. And the Lord continued to break my heart day after day after day with what is called unreached people groups. Some of, some of you, this may be a new term, 
But the issue within uh, unreached people groups is not of lostness. See, there's lost people everywhere. There's lost people in our own families. There's lost people here in Delano, in Minneapolis. There's lost people in Argentina, in Mexico, in China, and in the Middle East. But the issue that, that really broke my heart was, was lostness, yes, but also was of access. See, the difference between a place like Delano and a place like the Middle East is that here you can walk out your door, walk about a mile, and find a church. You have a Christian maybe in your own workplace. You can open up your, your cupboard or your, Bible or your Bible and understand the word of God. You can turn on the radio and hear the gospel. But in many places around the world, even if they wanted to know the gospel, they don't have access to it. There's over actually 4,000 different people groups in our world today that are considered unreached, that are have inadequate access to the gospel. There's no known missionary, no known church, no known Christian in an entire ethnic linguistic people group. And this broke my heart. And day after day after day, I sensed the Lord was drawing me back. And I came back to Minneapolis uh, a year later, and I've been at North Central University where I've been studying and being trained and equipped. But about six months ago, I felt the Lord begin to draw me back. And uh, for this specific time, um, the Lord is drawing me back for the summer. But I do sense that the Lord may have a future where he is calling me back to the mission field. But about six months ago, the Lord began to draw, draw me back to the Middle East. He was saying, Alex... I desire for you to go back. I didn't know what it was gonna look like, I didn't, I didn't know who it was gonna be with, but I got connected with an organization called Frontier Alliance International, or FAI. Okay, and FAI started about seven years ago in the midst of the refugee crisis caused by ISIS. They were some of the first responders that actually went to Iraq and Syria and responded to the refugee crisis and brought the gospel. Their heart is to plant the church, to make disciples, and to engage in the work being done in the Middle East. And they've seen incredible work. And they're also professional filmmakers. Their heart is to document what the Lord is doing in the Middle East and the situation in the Middle East so that the Western church and people around the world can better understand what is happening. So I began to pray, Lord, is this what you want me to do? I applied and was approved, but I said, God, you have to confirm. <laughs> you have to confirm. If this is what you want from me, God, you have to confirm. So I said, okay, God, this is yours. If you want me to go, you have to confirm it. And I found myself in this prophetic conference in Ames, Iowa. Don't know how I got there. Don't know why I was there, but the Lord knew and the Lord had a plan. I walked into a church, about 100 to 150 people, and this, this speaker got up and he began to preach the gospel. And my heart again began to break. And all of a sudden, he invited all six of us that were there from North Central University forward. And we lined up up front and he began to speak into our lives. He began to prophesy into our lives. And he turned to me and never met this man before, didn't know anything about my life, had no idea where he was from, didn't even know how I got there. And he looks at me and says, Alex, I see you taking a trip in the upcoming future that will change the trajectory of your life. He says, I see you working with a humanitarian relief organization where I believe the Lord wants you to work in this region of the world. And I believe the Lord is giving, wants to give you an anointing to heal that you will see broken bones snap back into place, people with club feet completely healed. What's amazing is, I don't know if that was an anointing or if that was just a confidence the Lord given me, but the Lord has done a lot of healing over even these past six months at North Central and in the Twin Cities. But he continued to go and he says, I see you with a camera. I see you documenting what the Lord is doing in that part of the world. And I believe the, the Lord is calling you to document and to, uh, to showcase the, the present day book of Acts and to show it to the Western church. And I was so overcome by the presence of God that I just fell to the ground. And what's amazing is that all of my friends who were there knew I was praying for confirmation and they go, oh! 
<laughs> like, oh my gosh, what is happening? How did this guy just get this so spot on? But I am here to tell you today that there is hope for the Middle East. And I desire to go to serve in the long-term missions movement. I desire to see people come to know Jesus. I desire to, to assist in serving the refugee. And I desire to document what the Lord is doing. What do, what do I mean by document? I, I mean photography, videography, journalism, interviewing. Because I don't know if some of you know this, but the Lord is moving in the Middle East. I don't know if you know this, but there are radical jihadists that used to be leaders in the ISIS caliphate, and they have radically encountered the love of Jesus and given their lives to him. I don't know if some of you know this, but there are thousands of refugees in camps, and Jesus is appearing to them in visions and dreams as this man in white. Missionaries are walking into refugee camps and saying to refugees, who knows or who has seen the man in white? Yeah. And people raise their hands, but they have no idea who he is. And ref and Missionaries and church planters and local believers are able to say, this is Jesus. And people are receptive of the gospel. Never before have we seen Muslims so open to Jesus. Did you know that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran and it's completely underground? Jesus is moving and we don't even know it. I believe that in some way the tides are actually turning and the Eastern Church is going to be inspiring and challenging the church in the West. And I believe that the church in the West needs to understand what's going on. So, I graduate in three weeks from North Central University. Praise God! Amen! And in May 6th, I jump on a plane and I go to the Middle East. I'll mainly be on the Lebanese-Syrian-Israeli uh, border, but I'll be traveling some throughout the area. Again, I'll be serving in the long-term missions movement of people that are there, boots on the ground, long-term. I'll be serving refugees. I'll be feeding. I'll be loving on people. I'll be uh, preaching the gospel, sharing uh, my faith and, and the love of Jesus, praying for the sick. And again, I'll be documenting what the Lord is doing in the Middle East. And I want, again, to say thank you Thank you, thank you, thank you. From what I've experienced in the Middle East, from what the Lord has done in my life, I would not be where I am today, and I would not have this opportunity unless I walked through the previous door. And I wouldn't have walked through that previous door without people like you. So I want to say thank you. So how can you be involved? There's three ways. Number one, I need your prayers. The Middle East needs your prayers. So please pray with us. Pray with, for me, pray for our teams, pray that hearts and eyes would be open, that Jesus would make a way, that he would create divine appointments of people that are hungry for the gospel. And number two, I can't go unless people like you help send me. I am so thankful for people who continue to have a heart for the lost and to send people like me around the world. So thank you for the support that this church has already given me. And I want to encourage you, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, but I encourage you to financially invest in what God is doing in the Middle East. And number three, I will be back this evening, as Pastor Paul mentioned, to share a little bit more about my heart. Um, I also believe that the Lord wants to heal some people tonight. So if you need uh, some healing, I would encourage you to come. And we'll be showing the f a film called The Frontier, which is a, a really, really well done film that Frontier Alliance International produced, uh, which is an organization, like I said, that I'll be with. It really conveys a little bit about what God is doing in the Middle East um, and how he's moving. It is challenging, stirring, encouraging. Um, I will... Uh, kind of a, a, a warning or advisory. Um, 
it is it is somewhat graphic. What I mean by that is it's it is honestly displaying the story of what's happening in the Middle East, which isn't necessarily a clean one. Okay, so um, you may it's 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 of of difficulty, of conflict, of chaos. Um, so you may want to just, if you want to bring your children, maybe have some conversations or things like that. I just want to warn you. But um, I would love to see you there. Thank you again for your investment. And I just want to pray and then um, I can hand it off. So Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you for West Point Church. I thank you for the years and years and years of this church and how it's invested in people's lives, how it's made disciples, how it's advancing the kingdom of God. I thank you for each and every person in this room. Jesus, would you speak to them even now? Would each person know how much you love them, the calling that is on their life, and they would, would they be awakened to be used by you, Jesus? And Lord, we pray for the Middle East. You are moving. You are moving the Islamic world. And Lord, we pray that you would continue continue to do so. Lord, the doors would fling wide open in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would continue to move in this church. Jesus, that you would continue to renew hearts, that you would bring awakening to this city in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we have been in this series called Rethink Love. But before we jump into that this morning, I just want to just add to what Alex is saying. Let's, uh, our Unite prayer services have been awesome. We've had some, some great times. Let's make this one a, a record turnout. Listen, if you maybe, maybe um, you're like, oh, man, two hours of prayer meeting, that's a little bit much. But hey, anybody can watch a movie, right? So come tonight. I, I, want, I really want you to be there. We have childcare available for these things as well. So if you're, you're bringing kids with you, they can, they can hang out in the nursery and, and, and do that too. Um, but we want to encourage you to be here tonight. This is, this is something that's, that's really important. I don't, I don't even remember who I was talking with, but I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day and just saying, man, there are so many challenges like reaching the world around us, especially the Muslim world. And, and like, how do we even begin and, and what's amazing is it's not on us. It's that God is moving and that we get to just join in with what he's doing and be a part of it. And, and that's just such an amazing opportunity. And, and prayer is something that is so important. And so that's why we believe in it. That's why we do things like this. And I want you to be here tonight. So please, please come back tonight. It's going to be a good time. All right. Well, I shared a few of these last week, and, and you seemed to enjoy them. I actually shared some different ones at the second service, and I thought, well, hey, um, it's not fair that they got different ones than you guys got. So these are, uh, this is from Ed Stetzer's blog. Uh, he, he asked pastors, what are some of the weird things that people have said to them after they got done preaching? And I thought I'd share a few more of those with you this morning. Um, this one uh, says, I was new to my first church and someone said, you're not like most pastors. When you say that you sin, we actually believe you. <laughs> uh, here's another one. An elderly female guest pianist said to me after the service, did you go to seminary? Yes, ma'am, he responded. Well, did you graduate? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, Another one is after or at lunch after preaching my seven-year-old said nice speech dad my nine-year-old followed with nah you've had better <laughs> um, a sweet elderly lady said in all sincerity this was such a wonderful sermon that it just put me right to sleep 
in kind of the same vein, another person said, the Lord healed me of insomnia during your message this morning. <laughs> like, all right. Uh, now, um, this one was, uh, this one says, every one of your sermons is better than the next one. <laughs> Think about that for a second. <laughs> that one took me while. I was like, oh, that sounds like it. No, wait. <laughs> one more, one more. I received an anonymous note after preaching that said, you know, the Gettysburg Address was only 272 words. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, there you go. Um, how many of you guys play games, like play board games or stuff like that? Like maybe your kids like to play games. Um, you know, I played this game growing up called Uno. Has anybody ever played that before? Like you use these little cards and there's four colors. It's a pretty simple game, so even little kids can play it, and that was part of my childhood. Well, some demon-possessed person came up with a new version of this game. It's called Uno Attack. Have you heard of that before? It looks like this. This is Uno Attack, and the difference is, instead of just playing cards like normal people, um, when you don't have a card that you can play, you don't draw a card from the pile anymore. You actually press this little button, and sometimes nothing happens like that. Sometimes you get extra cards. And it's, it's quite awful, actually. I mean, it's a quite terrible game. And uh, we were playing this game um, when we were at my parents' house in, in Illinois, and because our, our kids love it, and we thought, oh, it'd be really funny if we let Ella, my one-year-old, press the button. And of course, she's like, oh, wow, cards come on. She just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And so we just kind of made it a rule that if you have to press the button, you let Ella press it for you. Well, the problem is that she wasn't content with pressing it just once, right? So she, you know, okay, Ella, press the button. <laughs> you know, like as many times as she possibly could and cards just kept coming out and coming out and eventually this game had been going on for a while. I mean, a while, <laughs> right? And she just kept pressing that button, and finally we were like, okay, we are not going to let Ella press the button anymore because we are going to be playing this game all night. Well, that didn't go over very well when she, somebody else pressed the button instead of her. She threw an all-out tantrum, right? And so this game went on for over an hour, all right? Uno is not supposed to take that long and our kids are having a blast they're having a good time and all of us adults are thinking will this game ever end you know sometimes i think that's kind of how we think that god interacts with us waiting for that interaction to end so that he can go do something more important you know i want to talk about what it means at that God really loves us. And that's what this series is all about. And, and, you know, I know that we have this thought, like, yes, I know that God loves me. But sometimes I don't think we really understand the weight of his love for us. We're thinking about the fact that, yeah, I, God wants to spend time with us as long as we, you know, keep it to a minimum because, like, some important people, like, 
Like Stephen Furtick or Joel Osteen are going to be praying pretty soon. And God needs to go listen to their prayers. Or there's a, there's a Hillsong concert coming up and he needs to go listen to them sing songs about him. And he's got important things to do. So if you could just wrap up your prayers and make them quick and, and, and get out of the way so that God can go do what really matters to God. Can I tell you something this morning? I believe with all my heart that God not only will spend time with you, but he loves to spend time with you. And we're going to look at a story in the Bible this morning. And as we've been walking through this series, we've been looking at different stories of the life of Jesus and how he demonstrates his love for us. And I think that this story is a perfect illustration of how he wants to spend time with us and how he cares about us and how he sees no one as insignificant and no one as unimportant and that your time matters to God, that he wants you to be in his presence and he desires that. So if you have a Bible this morning and you want to jump in with me and turn to Luke chapter 8, and we're going to look at this story of Jesus and how he interacted with a couple different people and how he demonstrated his love to those people. And, and I want us to really get this today. I want us to believe that what we have to say matters to God. I want us to believe that, that the time that we spend with God, that it makes a difference in our life, that it's significant. And I want us to understand that God wants to spend time with us. So Luke chapter 8, verse, and we're going to start at verse 40. And I want us to just um, pray this morning that God would speak to our hearts as, as we look into his word. Father, I just pray right now that as we spend some time in your word and studying your word, that you would speak to our heart today. Lord, that we would hear your voice, God, and that it would impact us, that it would change us, that it would move us in a powerful way. Lord, we thank you for this day and for a chance to be in your presence. Lord, I pray that you, that you would give us clarity today. Lord, that we would receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to begin today by, by just saying this is not something that is just a problem for, for people who have, you know, not been a Christian for a long time. In fact, I think I see it more commonly in people who have been believers for a very long time that they just forget what that relationship with Christ is like and, and things kind of just become bland and stale over time if it's not something that's constantly renewed and it's not something that's constantly refreshed. And, and I want you to understand this morning that, that God really does love you. And, and, and this is that, a perfect example of that. In Luke chapter 8, verse 40, here's what it says. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. So this guy is kind of a big deal, okay? And he comes to Jesus, and he presents himself very humbly. He doesn't, he doesn't come arrogantly. He doesn't demand attention. But it says, he, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he only had one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. I love how he says that, like if she had two daughters, this wouldn't be important to him. But, but he makes a point to say, he only had one daughter, and she's on death's door, and this man is desperate. And I want us to think about that this morning, too. Like, Do we come into God's presence with that sense of desperation? 
Are we really that hungry? Are we really um, that desiring of God to, to impact our lives? And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Okay, ladies, like, this is not my territory here. I'm just saying that right now. But I can't even imagine, like, what this woman was going through. 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him, being Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. Now, can you imagine what was going through her mind at this moment? She had been struggling with this health issue for 12 years. And she touches just the edge of Jesus' garment. And she's healed instantly in that moment. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Now imagine what she's thinking. Like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble now. And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and are pressing you. He's like, hey, Jesus, like we're in the middle of like a thousand people right now. Everybody's touching you. Like we're not even taking a step without being touched. But here's what Jesus responded. Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. You know, I think it's interesting just to look at this passage. We see two different people. We see Jairus coming before Jesus. And we see this woman. One of them uh, is a prominent figure and, and maybe comes and presents himself to Jesus, and the other one is, is basically hiding and ashamed and trying to avoid any confrontation, but both of them do the exact same thing. They present themselves by throwing themselves at his feet in humility and in desperation. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Now, I never noticed this before, but everybody was weeping and mourning. And Jesus makes this comment. And they're laughing at him. Like something's changed in this room. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, 
he called, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Just leave it to Jesus to take care of the details, okay? Like, just raised her from the dead. Now get this kid some food, okay? And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now there are a few things that I want to kind of pull out from this story today that I want us to get from this incredible message. But the thing, the, the big concept that I want us to walk away with is that Jesus demonstrates his love for us by giving us his time. He wants to have time with us. And how often are we like the annoyed parents when the kids want to play a game? Like, when will this end? We view it as an inconvenience. We view it as an obligation. And we view it as a burden. But it is a privilege and an honor and a transformational experience to spend time in the presence of God. And I think there are a number of reasons why maybe we don't really get that, why we don't understand that. And I want to highlight a few things today that will maybe help us come to that place where we're ready to say, God, I see the value in spending time with you. And I know that I need it. And I know that it's good for me. And I know that it's going to be amazing as I spend time with you. First thing is that you matter to Jesus. You matter to him. You're important to him. This woman clearly didn't understand her value and her worth in Jesus' eyes. Now, I think to some extent, maybe Jairus did. I don't think he fully understood either, but this woman definitely didn't because she didn't even have the confidence after suffering for 12 years with this medical issue. 12 years of pain and suffering, and yet she still didn't feel adequate or worthy to present herself to Jesus in a way saying, hey, Jesus, I need some help. Maybe there's somebody here that's been attending church for that long, and you've yet to realize that God values you. That God wants to spend time with you. And, and you know that in theory, but you don't really believe it in your heart. And that's prevent, prevented you from experiencing what he has for you. It's created this level of separation between you and him. And that you just don't understand how much he cares about you. Jesus spent time with this woman. It wasn't that he just healed her. In fact, Jesus healed a lot of people in the Bible. But this is the only incident that I can think of, at least, that where Jesus was on his way to do something else, and it was urgent, and it was important, and he was a little bit in a hurry. And he stopped in that moment. And he could have just like allowed that healing power to go out. In fact, he even says it was your faith that healed you. Like it was her obedience and, and her response and her faith that, that ultimately led to her healing. And he could have just been like, okay, somebody got healed. Let's move on. But no, he stopped in that moment in a time when he was in a hurry. 
in a time when he was headed somewhere else, when he had something important to do. And he spent time to speak and to address that woman. In fact, she didn't even want to be known. He could have easily been like, who touched me? Nobody? Okay, we're moving on. But he valued that woman enough. He wanted to show her that he cared about her. Now, I don't know how Jesus felt about this, but if somebody were coming up to me to talk about their menstruation issues, that would probably not be super high on my priority list for the day. All right? Like, I mean, this would be something that would make me a little bit uncomfortable. Be like, listen, we have some amazing women prayer leaders, and they would be happy to pray with you. I don't need to know about that. But Jesus, even maybe feeling a little bit uncomfortable with the topic at hand, felt it was important to spend some time with this woman. Never once did he say, let me take care of the more important person first, and then I'll come back to you. Or let me deal with the issue that's more important, more, more imminent right now first. He spent time caring for this woman because she mattered to him. And I want us to really believe and understand that, that, that you matter to God, that he cares about you, that he wants to know the details of your life, that when you bring something to him, he's not sitting there looking at his watch waiting for you to be done. But he's listening to you and he hears you and he loves that you bring your needs and your requests to him. Second thing is that not only did Jesus give this woman an amazing gift of healing, but he gave her something much more. He gave her something even more than she wanted. Spending time with Jesus meant that she didn't receive just the healing that she came for. She was also granted peace. In fact, we look at what Jesus said. He said, daughter, it is your faith that has made you well. You're healed, but go in peace. You know, it's incredible that when we bring our needs and our requests to God, sometimes he gives us the answer that we're expecting. Sometimes he gives us a different response that's even better than what we asked for in the first place. Sometimes it's both. And for this woman, Jesus knew that she didn't just need healing, but she needed peace as well. And when we come to Christ, he gives us more than we anticipate, more than we expect. So you matter to Jesus. He gives us even more than we want. But then there's another side of this story. The other character in this story is this guy named Jairus. And, and he was valued by God, and he was important too. And Jesus cared about him. And, and I want to be clear as I'm saying this. I'm not criticizing Jairus's faith in this moment uh, or his friends for saying, hey, Jesus, never mind, she's dead. But the truth of the matter is when we come to God, we sometimes give up far too easily. We think it's over when it's not over. We come to God and say, we have this expectation, we have this desire but do we really believe and expect that he's going to come through? And when it doesn't happen instantly or immediately, do we walk away and give up? 
you know, it, sometimes it takes a great deal of courage to ask for God's help. Sometimes we even take the route that we say, well, if I don't make the request, then I don't have to be disappointed when I don't get the answer that I'm hoping for. And real faith, real faith that stirs us, that moves mountains, puts us in a vulnerable position sometimes. But I believe that our God is faithful and that he's able to handle those big requests. And when we expose ourselves by asking, he has an opportunity to show that faithfulness. So if we're willing to say, we're not going to give up in this moment, I believe that we're giving Jesus an opportunity to do something that's even greater than what we could expect. The last thing that I want us to notice is that God doesn't always work on our timeline. I, I mean, Jairus came to Jesus and, you know, let me ask you this question. Did Jesus need to go to his house to heal this little girl? There's another story in the Bible. A, a soldier comes to Jesus and, and says, hey, could you heal my son? And Jesus says, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's heal your son. And he says, you know what? You don't even need to come. Uh, you got important things to do. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And, and Jesus said, that's incredible faith. And that boy was healed. Well, in this instance, Jairus invited Jesus to come. And Jesus knowing the future, would know that this little girl was going to die. But in this instance, it wasn't just that he was going to heal. It was that he was going to do even more than they expected once again. And it wasn't enough for Jesus in this moment to say, she's healed. Don't worry about it. Go home. She's fine. He felt that it was important to go with Jairus to his home and be in his presence. Jesus went with him because he wasn't just answering his request. The time that he spent with him was significant too. Sometimes the journey that leads to the answer of our prayers is just as important as the answer. Sometimes that's the more important process. And God does work in that journey with us. And as we're trusting him and as we're relying on him, and if we don't give up and if we don't lose hope, then we get to see something that's even more incredible. And through that process, we learn, we grow in our faith, we become stronger as believers in Christ. The time in God's presence is as important as the demonstration of his power. When we bring what we need before God, we trust that he's faithful, that he's able to answer. But we need to understand that the time that we spend with him is just as important. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we close this morning. And I want to close with just a, a time of worship. But I want to ask you a question. What are the things that you have in your life right now that you need God to do? That you need God to impact you in some way? That you need a miracle? That you need um, God to show up in a big way? We all have them if we're being honest here this morning. None of us came here and our lives are just absolutely perfect. And there's nothing that we need God to do. 
So it kind of starts there with just being transparent enough to say that, God, I need you. I need your intervention in my life. There are things that are going on inside of me that I need your help in. And when we come to that point, then we can say, okay, God, I believe, I have faith, I'm walking through this journey with you. And as we're bringing those things to him, maybe you're in one of these positions. Maybe you're feeling inadequate, that you don't deserve God's mercy, that you don't deserve his time, that he's got more important things to do, that he's got more important people to spend time with. And because of your feelings of inadequacy, you failed to walk through that door. Say, God, I need you to intervene. Or maybe you're on the other side of things and, and you've asked in the past and been disappointed with the answer or the timing in which it's happened or the, the maybe lack of progress or sometimes even progress in the wrong direction. And you come to the place where you're just frustrated and you feel like you're giving up hope. And you're like, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how to go on. It's just, it's hard on me to keep believing and keep trusting. And I'm struggling with this in this moment because I don't know where this is going to end up. And in some ways, you've even given up on the things that, that you're believing for. And the last thing, maybe... Maybe you're just frustrated with the timeline and you're missing an opportunity to see how God is working in the process of answering your need and your request. So as we close today, I'm going to say a prayer and, and maybe you're here today and, and you got something that I said that and something came right to mind and is like yes that's my thing that's my issue that's what I'm struggling with that's what I've been praying for for years and years and years and you're in that moment and, and you're struggling with that and God's speaking to your heart and saying don't give up don't give up don't give up I'm here to reinforce that today don't give up because he's still able, he's still faithful, he's still the same God that's worked thousands of miracles before, he's still working miracles today, and he can work it out for you. So as we pray today, I'm going to just ask that, that you would allow faith to stir up in your heart, that you would begin to believe again, that you would renew that hope inside you, and that as an act of or an expression of gratitude even before the answer is seen that we would worship today just one last time believing that God will do what he said he would do believing that his promises are good believing that he cares about us and that he loves us